Hello, and welcome to Trinity Gathered Online. My name is Pe, and I'm a ministry apprentice here at Trinity. Welcome if you are joining us for the first time, or watching wherever you are for the first time. I hope that your time with us will be encouraging to yourself. Let me read for us, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get um, into today's uh, word. Um, we'll be reading from Matthew chapter 1, We'll start reading from verse 18 to verse 25. Matthew chapter 1, reading from verse 18 to verse 25. It reads as follows. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Let me pray for us. Oh Lord, we thank you for this time that we have this morning in your word. I pray that you open our hearts, our ears, our minds, so that we might see your son Jesus Christ for the way in which you want us to see him as your word is preached. I pray that you give me clarity, and I pray that my brothers and sisters might be encouraged as they hear you speak to them this morning. I ask for all of this through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We all love rescue stories with a happy ending. And let me just remind you of one that happened a few years ago. In 2010, on the 5th of August, a mine in Chile collapsed. 33 men were trapped almost 600 meters underground. Fortunately, as the mine collapsed, they were able to get into a refuge chamber. This was a small room installed underground in case of an, an emergency. These men had, had food that could last them only for two days and a few liters of water that could last them a couple of days. They didn't know how long it would take for them to be rescued. And because of that, they used the water and the little food that they had sparingly. Trapped underground, all they could do was wait and hope that a rescue plan was being put together for them. Even if they wanted to do something about their situation, they couldn't do anything. They wouldn't be able to dig through solid rock to the top. That would be impossible. A small hole about the size of an orange was then drilled from the top to where these men were. 
It took 17 days for these men to be confirmed alive. This then made communication and, and food possible for, for these men. But it should take another 52 days more before these men were safely back, brought back from under the ground. And on the 13th of October, the last man was pulled out of the ground as the world watched in excitement. Without outside help, the men would have died of starvation and dehydration. That's how helpless these men were as they sat in the dark. Well, well, friends, this week we begin a new series leading up to Christmas. And we, we want to remind ourselves of the hope that, that the coming of Jesus brings into this world. We will explore three kinds of hope. Hope for the past, hope for the present, and then hope for the future. This week we are looking at hope for the past. Hope for the past. Or more accurately, hope for my past. You see, like the Chilean miners who needed rescuing, we also have been rescued if we are Christians. Or are yet to be rescued if we are not yet trusting in Jesus. And today we are going to learn three things about our salvation story. Three things about our salvation story. We will see the direction of salvation. Where does it come from? Secondly, we will see the need of salvation. What are we being saved from? Lastly, we will see the means of salvation. What method has God used to save us? Well, let us look at the direction of salvation. The direction of salvation. And let me propose to you, our salvation is from top to bottom. Our salvation is from top to bottom. And by that I mean to say that God is the initiator of the salvation. Have a look at, at verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Well, in this verse, Matthew tells us how the birth of an important man came about. I say important because he is not just a man named Jesus, which was a common name in those days, by the way. He is Jesus, the Messiah, or depending on which Bible you are using, Jesus the Christ. The word Messiah or Christ means anointed one or, or chosen one. Matthew wants his readers to know that this Jesus is the culmination of God's plan of salvation. In the Old Testament, Israel had been promised a mighty one who would rule and rescue God's people. A great shepherd. Well, Jesus' mother is engaged to be married to Joseph. And I'm sure both of them were, were excited, as is the case normally. But before marriage, but before the marriage ceremony, Mary is found to be pregnant. She has not slept with Joseph, nor has she been unfaithful to him. Matthew tells us that this is a miraculous conception. 
It is through the Holy Spirit that Mary is pregnant, as verse 18 makes it clear. But what is, but what is Joseph's response to this pregnancy? Look at verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Notice, friends, that though they are engaged and not yet married, then Matthew, the narrator, refers to Joseph as Mary's husband. This is because in that time, marriage had a couple of stages before a man and a woman were considered to be officially married. This stage that Mary and Joseph were in was the last stage before the marriage ceremony. It could only be broken, broken off through a certificate of divorce. That's how advanced the talks were between Joseph and Mary's family. And only in the case of unfaithfulness, as, as permitted in the Old Testament law, could um, a man divorce a woman at this stage. When Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant, he decides to divorce her. But because he is a righteous man, he doesn't want to expose Mary. He will divorce her in private. Though it is his right to divorce her publicly, since he believes that she has been unfaithful to him, it is right. He could divorce her publicly and bring her to shame. But once Joseph decides that, God intervenes. As Joseph decides to, to divorce Mary quietly, God then intervenes. Look at verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The angel reassures him that Mary has, has not been unfaithful. She has miraculously conceived through the Holy Spirit. This pregnancy was not um, any man's idea or Mary's idea. It comes from God. Friends, the story of salvation as told by the Bible is a vertical one. In other words, as I've already stated, it is from top to bottom. The angel comes to Joseph as we see in the story here. It's from top to bottom. It is important to remember that, friends, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus into this world. Christmas is about Jesus coming down to save us according to God's plan. Look at verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Matthew tells us, uh, Matthew tells us that this scandal of Mary falling pregnant before marriage and Joseph wanting to divorce her and the Lord's intervention in the matter is nothing new. It's not a new story. Rather, it is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy about how Jesus would enter this world. Which is why he quotes this verse from Isaiah chapter, chapter 7 verse 14. Mary the virgin would miraculously fall pregnant and give birth to a son. The son would be called God is with us, Emmanuel. In many religions or belief systems today, 
the first step is taken by the individuals of that religion or the individuals who want to be part of that religion. And by that I mean to say that it is the people approaching that God first. And perhaps you think the same about Christianity. You think that it's a bottom-to-top relationship. Well, according to the Bible, God came to us first. And this is the single most important thing that makes Christianity different to other beliefs. Isn't it a relief to know that God has come to us? He became one of us. He has been in our shoes before. He doesn't just have an idea of what it's like to be a human. He became human. Well, with all of this good news, perhaps you're asking yourself, why do I need saving? Why do I need saving? Or what am I being saved from? I get, I get the fact that you're saying that salvation is top to bottom. Yes, I get that fact. But what am I being saved from? Perhaps you're asking yourself this question. Well, this takes us to the second thing that Matthew wants us to see here. And that is the need for salvation. The need for salvation. Look at verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. According to the angel's words here, in this verse, this son will be called Jesus. The name Jesus is, is the Greek form of the name Joshua, which means the Lord saves. The angel tells Josh, Joseph that the reason why the child is to be given this name is because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came in, comes into this world to play a specific role in the history of humanity. That role is made clear here by the angel. His mission is to save his people from their sins. So, so friends, we've answered the question of what makes salvation necessary. And according to this verse, it is our sins. Our sins make salvation necessary. But this, this answer raises a few other questions. For example, what is sin? Some of you might be asking yourself, what is sin? And what makes it so deadly or dangerous to the point that I need saving from it? Can't I just walk out of my sin or stop sinning? What makes it so deadly? Well, one Christian theologian defines sin like this, and I quote, Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. This means that sin includes not only individual acts such as stealing or lying or committing murder, but, but also attitudes that are contrary or opposed to the attitudes that God requires of us. For example, the Ten Commandments not only prohibit sinful actions, but also wrong attitudes. Look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. It reads as follows. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his maid, or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. 
In this Exodus verse, God specifies that a desire to steal or to commit adultery is also sin in his sight. But you may be sitting there and thinking, hmm, I don't think I've really broken God's law. In fact, I've lived a pretty good life. Well, let me give you other example. There's also ignoring God. Treating him as if he's not there. For example, putting food in your mouth without acknowledging that God gave you, gave it to you with a prayer. Not taking decisions based on what God's word says on any matter. Then there's, there's idolatry, replacing God with, with other things. Looking to those things for, for satisfaction, fulfillment, or hope. These can be good things, but which have taken the place of God in our lives. Things that we are valuing more than God. Like money, children, a career, or a relationship. With these examples, I'm sure that you're at least guilty of one of those offenses if, if you, you're the person who thinks they've lived a pretty good life. I'm sure at least one of them, you, you can trace that, no, I think I'm guilty of at least one of them. Well, friends, I hope that you, you see the kind of trouble we are in if we are outside of Christ. If sin takes so many different forms, then that means we've all broken God's law in the past. And by past, I don't mean years ago, although that, that's true, many of us have sinned over the years, all of us, in fact. I mean a couple of hours or minutes ago, maybe even this morning, you sinned against God. Everyone has broken God's law in some way. Which is why we have called this Christmas series Hope for My Past. Hope for My Past. We mean to say that the coming of Jesus into this world brings hope for people like us who have a track record of sinning on a daily basis. So we've seen that our sins are offenses against God, the creator of, of the universe. But I don't think that that still answers the question of why our sins are so dangerous or, or deadly. And, and the only way we can see the deadliness of our sins is if we look at God. And by that I mean to say that we can never grasp the offensiveness of our sins unless we know God's character. What does the Bible say about God? Well, for one, God is holy. In the Bible, the word holy can refer to separateness and moral purity. God is separate, meaning that he is different from created things. God is morally pure, meaning that everything he does is just and good. And this theme of God's holiness is repeated many times in scripture. For example, in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3, it reads as follows, and they were calling to one another, that's the heavenly beings. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is what the, hev the heavenly beings say of God as they worship him in heaven. This holy God doesn't overlook sin, friends. Because he is just and righteous. Every sin has to be punished because it is an attack of his character. Every sin. Look at Isaiah 59, 
verse, verse 1 to 2. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Look at another, another verse, Romans 6 verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ, in Christ Jesus our Lord. So friends, we see from these two, these, these passages that how, how much God doesn't tolerate, tolerate sin. Now sometimes this doesn't make sense because we don't see God judging us immediately every minute that we, we sin. We've seen sin described as, 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 as the cause for God turning his back on, on people. But it doesn't really make sense because that's not what we, we always see with our eyes on a daily basis. We, we don't always see God judging us immediately for every sin that we've committed. But let me, let me assure you, friends, that does not mean he overlooks our sins and pretends as if we, we haven't broken his law. Just because he doesn't judge us immediately for committing sin, it doesn't mean that he overlooks our sins. Rather, he is a patient God, giving us an opportunity to turn to him in repentance and to turn as we turn to Jesus. I think that we have established enough that the whole human race is in bondage to sin because our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned according to the Bible. Now, according to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, Jesus will save his people from their sins. Clearly, his people in verse 21 is not referring to Jesus saving the Jews only. Since all of us are plagued by this disease, which we call sin, by what does, but, but what does it mean that he will save his people from their sins? This simply means that he will save us from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. Remember that the penalty of sin is God's judgment. And if it were possible for us to save ourselves, Jesus wouldn't have had, Jesus wouldn't have had to come and rescue us. If that were possible, then it wouldn't have been necessary for Jesus to come and, and die in our place. In, in 2003, three old, sorry, in 2002, three old friends visited the Grand Canyon in Utah. While they were in the canyon, they took a wrong turn and got lost. Because they had spent many hours walking in the wrong direction, they decided to try climbing to the top of the canyon. One of them attempted to climb up 40 meters of the canyon wall in order to try and get the others out. After climbing 22 meters, he slipped and fell to the floor of the canyon where his friends were. He sustained severe head injuries, a, a burst eardrum, and broken ribs. Now they were afraid of, of trying now they were afraid of trying to climb out of the canyon because they had seen what, what had happened to their friend. I don't think I'd try the same if, if my friend has has had that happen to him. They were also afraid that if one of them tries to go back, they, they, were they were also afraid that if one of them tries going back in the direction that they had come, he might get lost 
and, and, get, and get deeper into, into the canyon further. It became clear to his two friends that they needed to be rescued by someone from the outside. They couldn't do anything. It became clear that the, their, their only chance of survival, especially for their unconscious friend who had knocked his head, was outside help. They then decided that they would wait and hope a search party would come looking for them. Bear in mind that they didn't bring enough food or water again. In their minds, the plan had been a quick hike and then they, they would uh, be returning to, to their uh, accommodation. Fortunately, after 36 hours, they were found after a search party had been sent to look for them after they had, fa they had failed to return. A helicopter had to position itself with where the men were and then let down a rope. They did this and were able to rescue the men who were unable to do anything about their circumstances. The situation was desperate because of their injured friend, as I've already stated. Friends, the same is true of us and the danger that we face outside of Christ. The only difference is that this danger is greater than almost dying in, in a canyon. What, what is this danger, perhaps? Perhaps you, you, may, you may be asking yourself. Well, because we are sinners, we deserve to be separated from God. We deserve the wrath of God. There is nothing we can do to get ourselves out of this trouble. To try and fix ourselves or make ourselves good people is futile and leads to greater harm than good. Just like this friend tried climbing out of the canyon because he failed to recognize that there was nothing they could really do to save themselves. We are also lost friends outside of Christ. And as time goes by, the greater the risk of an eternity without Christ and under God's judgment. The longer we stay outside of Christ, the greater the danger grows of being without Christ and dying or perishing under God's wrath. But fortunately, if you are hearing these words today at this hour, then hope has come for you. An opportunity has been presented to you to be rescued from the canyon of sin and God's impending judgment. From the story that I told you about these three men, I didn't, I, I, I didn't mention to you the fact that the helicopter didn't see them at first. They were so tiny, the helicopter was just too, too far up in the sky. It was at night. It took a ground rescue team to spot them, and then the helicopter was called back. If that ground search team wasn't there on time, then these men would have never been found alive. Their remains only would have been found, maybe, who knows, in a few years' time. As you hear these words, no one knows whether you may ever be given an opportunity to hear them again. So it's good to do something about them right now, because our souls are at stake. Jesus is calling us to respond to his warnings and invitations to him immediately. I hope by now it's clear how urgent and desperate humanity's situation is. There is no need to sit and wait like these men were waiting for an uncertain rescue. For us today, the rescue is right now 
for those who are hearing the good news for the first time. Or those who've heard but have done nothing about this good news. The rescue is right now. Unlike these men who had to wait, unsure whether someone would be coming looking for them, with us, we are being offered a rescue right now. And praise God that a Savior who is more than able came at God's time to offer us salvation. As Jesus was born into this world, God's plan to save those who trust in Jesus was set in motion. As Jesus was born into this world, this plan was set in motion. Perhaps you now see the direction of this salvation as well as, as the need for this salvation. But you are still unsure about how Jesus satisfies this need of salvation, which we all have. You're just unsure. Okay, I see the fact that, okay, salvation is from top to bottom. And, um, okay, Jesus, the, the, the need for the salvation, I'm in danger. But how does Jesus actually accomplish this? Well, let us look at the means of salvation or the method of salvation. The means of salvation. The method of salvation. Well, in, in today's passage, uh, Matthew doesn't tell us the means of the salvation. But there are other passages of scripture that make things clearer. Have a look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It reads as follows. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. To bring you to God, he was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. In this verse, we are told that Christ suffered once for sins. Whose sins did he suffer for? Well, it, it says the righteous for the unrighteous. Meaning that, when, meaning that when Christ was crucified and punished at the cross, he wasn't suffering for his own sins, since he did not have any sin. He was suffering for unrighteous people like you and me. But what was the purpose of this suffering? It goes on to say, to bring you to God. To bring you to God. This means that Jesus Christ's sacrificial death is the only way that sinners like us can have a relationship with God. Isn't that amazing, friends? That an innocent man was condemned to die the death that we deserve to die. He didn't remain in the grave. He rose again. That is why the last part of the verse says, he was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. You see, friends, it had always been part of God's plan to save, for Jesus to come and pay for our sins on the cross. An insignificant Roman cross was God's method of bringing us to salvation, a salvation which we so desperately needed. From eternity past, God always had a plan to save mankind through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is why 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 20 says, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Before Adam and Eve, before Adam and Eve were formed, God had already made a plan to save humanity through Christ. Isn't that good news, friends? Well, here's what we've seen this, this morning. We've seen the direction of salvation. 
it comes from God to us. He is the one who takes the initiative by coming down. We've also seen the need for this salvation. Outside of Christ, we are helpless people who are sinning their way to hell. Where the justice of God is exercised in the form of wrath. Lastly, we've seen that the method through which we are saved is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Well, now you might be sitting here feeling the weight of your sin. You may be someone who recognizes how much you have failed, perhaps in the distant past or even this past week. Let me encourage you not to despair this morning. Jesus, the rescuer, has come and settled your debt, the debt of your sin in God's sight. Indeed, our sins are many, but his mercy is more. Do not despair. If you are already trusting in Jesus, know that your sins have already been punished in Christ, in Jesus Christ at the cross. If not, if you are not yet a Christian but are feeling the weight of your sin, you don't know what to do, then I invite you to trust in the sacrificial death of Jesus and you will have peace with God. You will be made a child of God, forgiven and cleansed. But maybe you are someone who feels like a good person or you think you can make yourself right with God. And because of that, you don't think you need Jesus. Well, let me encourage you to consider carefully the passages of Scripture that we've looked at today. God's view of everyone is that they need saving by Christ. Otherwise, Jesus would not have been born. Jesus would not have been born to come and pay for the penalty of our sins. If it was possible for even a single person to make themselves right with God, God would have been pleased with that person and he would have said to all of us who are struggling or sinning, he would have said, look at this one. Stop sinning like him and then you'll be my children. But that is not the case, friends. God saw that we can't do it. We are in need of outside help. Just like these men, the 33 men, who the only thing that they could do was just sit and wait for outside help. We were also like that. But thank God, rescue has come. His son, Jesus Christ, has come. He is the one that we need to look to as we prepare to celebrate Christmas. Meaning that our, our, our past sins are already forgiven. We are now accepted as children of God. No matter what we've done, we can come to Jesus because he has paid the penalty for our sins. Let me leave it there for, for today. I hope you have been encouraged. Let me pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the one who took the first step and approached us. We didn't even call out for help. You saw the desperate situation that we were in and you decided to come to us through your son Jesus Christ. We thank you Lord that you saw our need 
and that you have done something about our need. You have rescued us through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, and made us your people. At the cross, we can be assured that your justice and your love are seen. I pray, Lord, that this might encourage us as we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus. I pray that this might cause us to love you more and to want to tell others more about this Jesus. We pray and ask for all of this through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.